You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome in. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Oh, my goodness. Do we have enough stuff to talk about today? We have too much stuff, and we only have an hour to do it. So let's roll right off the bat. Of course, we take you up until Golik and Wingo at 6. The number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. Daily poll question is up. And we will get to that in a little bit, but two games on Saturday in the NFL, two games on Sunday, and really a jam-packed weekend of exciting football. Not just close games, but exciting games. Two overtime games, maybe not always executed flawlessly at times, and we will certainly touch on that. But you got some really good, exciting games that went down to the wire, and it feels like maybe it's just my memory, maybe it's yours too, but usually it feels like wild card weekend you'll get at least one stinker in there, right? You'll usually get, like, one blowout in there. The Texans, I, I remember last year, wasn't a very exciting game. A couple of years ago now, that Steelers and Dolphins game where it was just a blowout from jump. Uh, the Raiders game a few years ago where uh, they were playing the Texans with Connor Cook at quarterback. It always feels like there's one of the four that does not live up to the hype. But yesterday, all four games, not just yesterday, but Saturday and Sunday, all four exciting. All four go down to the wire. Maybe that Eagles game takes a loses a little bit of luster when Carson Wentz goes down, and it felt like that in the moment. But with the way the game played out, it went uh, right down to the wire. So let's start there. Seahawks go into Philly yesterday, beat the Eagles 17-9, exact same score from earlier in the year. Second offensive series, of course, it's Carson Wentz going down after getting hit in the back of the head by Jadavian Clowney. Even after Wentz went out. It was not like the Eagles fell apart. And in fact, deep into that first half, I took the Seahawks yesterday. That was my one pick for the day. But I got to be honest with you, I didn't feel all that great about it because you're getting close to halftime. And even though Carson Wentz is out, I don't know if that point you knew for sure he wasn't coming back, but it wasn't like the Seahawks all of a sudden were pulling away. It was a 3 nothing game pretty deep into that first half. And then they tied it. And it wasn't until after the two-minute warning that the the Seahawks finally got the touchdown and led 10-3. But even 10-3, thinking to yourself, all right, look, you're down 10-3. Your quarterback, who knows if he's coming back or not. But it's not exactly like the Seahawks went and ran away with it. But the Seahawks do go on and get the win. They make just enough plays, and the game really went down to the wire. The, you know, they had the, uh, the Eagles had the ball at the 10-yard line in the closing minutes and just were not enough able to make enough plays with Josh McCown. Um, but the takeaway, I guess one of the big ones, is about Carson Wentz. Uh, it, it seems like he's one of those guys that, for whatever reason, is always going to be highlighted separately from the game. And anyone who had a take about Carson Wentz and the injury and tying it into his previous injuries of not being able to stay healthy, well, obviously that's pretty dumb, isn't it? Like the guy got hit in the back of the head. It's not exactly something that ties in. Maybe you'll want to use it as something that ties in to a narrative about him being injury prone. It's not exactly like he twisted his knee or he hurt his back or he came up with an injury to his throwing shoulder. He got hit in the back of the head and he got concussed. And it was the right move, I'm assuming, that uh, it was it was significant enough. When you see the reports from Sal Palantonio that the injury was significant enough that the team actually uh, had his wife come down to the locker room 
as he was dealing with the after effects, that's pretty serious. So I'm, anybody to me who is going to tie in, and you saw some people on Twitter, oh boy, it's always, it always seems like it's something with Carson went. The guy got hit in the back of the head. What do you want him to do? The other big takeaway in regards to Wentz that I've seen after the game. Well, Clowney should have been flagged. That's a dirty hit. That's a malicious hit. That's disgusting. Now, I said that people said that after the game. And the only reason why they're saying that was because you watched it after the fact in slow motion. In real time, nobody noticed that. In fact, when you saw Carson Wentz on the sidelines, I think most people were kind of, what, what, what is he doing there? And certainly when he went to the locker room, it was a surprise. Al Michaels, I think, was the one who was like, oh, geez, look at this. He's going to the locker room. You did not notice that in real time. So to be criticizing the officials for not noticing that in real time is uh, is ridiculous. It's hypocritical. You didn't notice it until you were sitting on Twitter watching a slow-motion replay where it's broken down basically frame by frame. You know, sometimes slow motion is valuable. But on a play like that, it doesn't tell you the truth. Jadavian Clowney was not moving in slow motion. To him, he was moving in real time. So to think that he lowered his head intentionally to hit Carson Wentz in the back of the head with the hope that he would injure him, I think is a bit of a stretch. And maybe it's just Eagle fans who are bitter that their quarterback went down and are upset that their quarterback maybe doesn't get treated the same way as other star quarterbacks do, the treatment of other star quarterbacks. It wasn't like he was giving himself up on that play. It wasn't like he was sliding feet first. He was diving for an extra yard. So I'm not going to blame Carson Wentz for getting hurt, but I'm not going to blame the officials or Jadavian Clowney for that injury either. Well, Gordon, at college, they would have called that. Well, thank God it's not college. I don't want the game officials or the game to be officiated at that level. Do you? where every single little action is going to be analyzed and overanalyzed to a fine-tooth comb. Let them play. Sometimes things happen. You don't have to have a take on everything. You don't have to sit back with the, the, the knowledge that no one else has in terms of actually officiating the game and think that you know more than those who are actually officiating the game. There's plenty of times where the officials get things wrong, and in real time, everybody notices it. Trust me, there are (laughs) countless examples throughout the season. That was not one of them, and nor should it have been. You want the games to take seven hours to play where every single play is at? I mean, come on. That's not the way I want to watch football. And you know what else? If they had called that, and this will come up later because they have another play, you would be crying the exact same, oh, come on, these officials, they're just, it's overanalyzing everything. These officials just have to make themselves the stars. Come on. Enough. Same thing with the first game yesterday. Vikings go into New Orleans, beat the Saints in overtime, 26-20. to Kirk Cousins 
hitting Kyle Rudolph with a game-winning touchdown on the uh, opening drive of the overtime. And uh, I'm sure now we will probably have some arguments whether or not uh, the overtime has to be changed again because the uh, Saints didn't get a possession of the ball in uh, the um, in the overtime. The problem with that, of course, is that when they went to overtime, they still decided to play football, right? That's what football is. It's not baseball. Baseball, one side gets an up, the other team gets an up, right? Everybody gets a chance to top of the inning, bottom of the inning. That's not football. Football is you get a possession, I have to stop you. If I want to get the ball, I have to stop you. So let's not get into the arguments about uh, rechanging overtime or making it like the college overtime, which I absolutely despise. But there are plenty of actual issues from this game. First off, I can't wait to see how Saint fans whine about this playoff loss because you got beat. Simple as that. No complaints this time around outside of the your own performance. And you really have to wonder if New Orleans has seen their Super Bowl window close. I mean, I'm sure Drew Brees is going to be back there next year. You ride with him as long as you can. But Drew Brees got outplayed by Kirk Cousins yesterday. And the Saints, even though it was a close game, went to overtime, they got completely outplayed by the Minnesota Vikings. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not look at the final score and think it was uh, a much closer game than it was. And we talked about it on the Saturday show about the Vikings' chances of how they might be able to take advantage of the Saints' injuries up front on defense. But it was the Vikings' defense that really controlled this game. Breeze was never get it, never able to get into any rhythm until the fourth quarter. Kamara was never able to get on track. Michael Thomas didn't really see him much until the fourth quarter either. Their running game never got on track. They made a couple of, uh, of plays. And look, you could make the argument that Drew Breeze got outplayed by Taysom Hill. Never mind Kirk Cousins. And yeah, they finally got things going in the fourth, got a chance to win it at the end of regulation. And Sean Payton, oh my God, you want to talk about head-scratching performances. And that will tie into the uh, poll question, which we'll get to in a little bit. His handling of the clock was horrendous. And I'm not going to kill him for the timeout before the two-minute warning like some people. To me, that's hindsight. But in hindsight, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, that would have been better, especially since you never use the timeout. Time is essential there, and you needed as much of it as possible. I might even give him a pass, not fully, but not calling it after the, the cook reception when you have 21 seconds left. But when you go to the line to spike it, you have the false start, and you know that there's going to be a 10-second runoff. There's 21 seconds left in the game. You're playing for a field. You're essentially telling you you're playing for a field goal in overtime. And Joe Buck was 100% right. And Troy Aikman was out of his. What is he talking about? Oh, no, I like not taking the time out there. You'll have 11 seconds left, Troy. I don't get an award for holding on to the timeout into the offseason. What are you talking about? And and Sean Payton, of all people, Mr. Aggressive, Mr. Onside Kick in the Super Bowl, Mr. Go for the Throat, playing for the tie. You cut your own throat. Just mind-boggling, inexcusable in the moment. Not hindsight later on, not, hey, you know what, now that I think back on it, 
in the moment, what were you doing? And the other issue that I've heard since the game ended, the game-winning touchdown of whether or not there was a push-off, stop it. Stop. I mean, do you honestly want the games officiated like this now? Is that what you want? Any small contact? Offensive pass interference. Bring it back. Look, I get it. It's an exciting game, and when it's going on, I just want it to keep going too, right? I like exciting football games, and if they score there in overtime, that's the game over. But you really want to overturn a touchdown on replay based on that? And here's the thing. Here's the main takeaway. Much like the other play we talked about in the uh, Eagles game with uh, Wentz getting hurt, I'm guessing if the officials did what people, some people are saying that they want, they should have done or they wanted them to do, the offensive pass interference, those same people would be crying even more. They'd just be crying from the other side of it. How dare the, the officials have to be the star? Why don't you just let the game play out? Well, they did let the game play out, and there's no way that that should be offensive pass interference. Ridiculous. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. I actually just got off the phone with Don LaGreca. Don's up early this morning listening. One of our nine listeners, and he's one of them. Bang, love it. He, he brought up to me at the end of the first half. You know, that did not jump out to me as much. Uh, as obviously the end of the game and obviously the, the missed field goal. Maybe if they get the field goal there, you kind of give it a little bit more of a pass as well uh, in the first half for the Saints. But, no, I mean, Sean Payton, you know, it's funny. When any you bring up Mike McCarthy's name as a possibility for the Giants, or really any job, well, you know, Mike McCarthy, he only won one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, my, do, do we ever kill Sean Payton? Because it's certainly looking more and more likely that they're only going to win the one Super Bowl with uh, – he's only going to win the one Super Bowl with, with Drew Brees. So I don't think that – I don't expect that Sean Payton is going to be uh, available as a head coach anytime soon. But I'm guessing if all of a sudden today there's a report, you know what, Sean Payton wants out in New Orleans and he wants to come back to the Giants. I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. And look, he's a Super Bowl winning coach. He's got a resident – right. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with that either. But it's just funny the uh, degree we hold uh, Mike McCarthy much more responsible than we do Sean Payton. All right, so 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Uh, we touched on the two games on Sunday. Uh, let's talk uh, – you know what, let's get Mark in uh, South Jersey, and he wants to talk about the clowny hit. Mark, what, what do you got to say about the, the clowny hit on Wentz? Yeah, what's going on? If I can real fast. Kyle uh, is 6'5", the other guy is like six foot. It only takes one hand to even a little bit of push off. Full extension. The Saints probably shouldn't have been in that situation. But uh, with regards to the Wentz uh, play, yes, live, we didn't see it in that regard. But the way they've been calling plays with quarterbacks, they were like, what, that wasn't rough for the passer. What I told your, uh, I told your producer was the fact that he didn't use any hand. It was all head straight down into the back of Wentz's head. And I'm not saying that, you know, as an Eagle fan, that all of a sudden our whole um, situation changes off of one play. But he was the only guy, Carson Wentz, as the mass unit that we had that we couldn't afford to lose, and you get it on the play where a guy says he's finishing, but I just feel like it was unnecessary. Unnecessary uh, enough to get a flag. You know, in hind- look, when you're watching it in slow motion, yeah, I-, I could see how you would feel that way. Nobody in real time is watching that play and saying to themselves, oh, uh, that it would be one thing if Wentz was sliding feet first, right? If he's sliding feet first 
and Clowney comes in at that angle, okay, then I think maybe, right, he's giving himself up. He's diving forward for every last yard. So I don't, ha- I didn't have a problem with because I didn't notice it at the time. And I don't really blame the officials for not noticing it either. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Um, let's touch on the two games on Saturday, and we will start with uh, Saturday night, right? Bill, uh, rather the uh, the Patriots and the Titans game. Titans go into New England. They get the win. And Saturday morning, I was saying, you know, I, I really had a hard time looking at that game, trying to figure out a way that the Titans were going to be able to win. Because the way you would have to say that the Titans were going to win that game was you were going to have to have Derrick Henry basically control the game. And I could not – if I know that, don't be me. Obviously, Bill Belichick knows that. And Bill Belichick, the great Belichick, is not going to allow a running back to come in there and run the ball down their throats. And, and make no mistake, that's exactly what he did. He came in there and ran the ball, basically had 200 yards of offense, had the touchdown, the Titans get the win. So despite Ryan Tannehill making basically one big throw all night long, congrats to the Titans, congrats to, to, to Derrick Henry, congrats to Vrabel, congrats to everybody with the uh, Tennessee Titans. And goodbye, New England. And really, congrats to us. If you're sick and tired of watching the Patriots year in and year out, I don't think that anybody really thought, even if you thought like I did, that the the, the Patriots were going to win that game. I don't think many people outside of the diehard Patriot fan thought that they were going to have some deep playoff run this year. The team just seemed too flawed, especially on offense. But, you know, and that's really where... I feel like after the game, most of the focus was on Derrick Henry. And, and and look, he was amazing. He did control the game. He did run the ball down the Patriots' throat. But that said, the Titans had only two drives deep into New England territory. So as great as he was, I think if, if I told you ahead of time, Derrick Henry is going to run for 180 yards and have a catch for 20, and he's going to have a touchdown – But the Titans were going to be held to 14 points in New England in a playoff game. I think you would have signed for that if you were New England, not if you were the Titans. Where New England lost this game was clearly with their offense, right? And and, and it wasn't even so much the the second half, although that stands out, right? You didn't score a point. Right before halftime, you get the ball all the way down there. You had the ball at the one-yard line. And the fact that they had to settle for that field goal, to me, that felt like, oh, geez. And not just because and they had the lead at the time, but much like um, the uh, Seahawks yesterday when it was only 3 nothing. You know, you have to – you watch these playoff games. Each team in these playoff games gets opportunities. We like to say, think that we can predict these, oh, it's going to go like this is going to – no. Both teams will have opportunities. And how they – come up in them who makes those plays in the big moments because you look at all eight of these teams all eight of these maybe not the eagles because they lost once but all eight of these teams had the play in front of them if they make the play that they're designed to make they could win any of these games the four teams that won all could have lost the four teams that lost all could have won so to me that's where new england kind of lost the game by settling for that field goal there, and then, of course, they give up the touchdown to the Titans right after that, and uh, away you go. So now all the stories about New England are going to be Tom Brady's done in New England, and, and look, maybe, I don't know. That, that's going to be fascinating to watch. But the one storyline that I heard so much of on Saturday night, the Patriots, not just that they're done for the year, right? Obviously, they're out. The dynasty's over. 
It's done with. It's been 20 years. It's finally over. It's almost like watching a monster movie. Even when the monster seems dead, he's not always dead, right? Like Die Hard, when you think that the guy who was, uh, the, what's the ballerina guy? I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But he's strung up with the chains. Oh, that guy's dead. All right, Bruce Willis is moving on to Hans now. It turns out he's not dead. The monster's not always dead when you think it's dead. And the problem with the idea that the Patriots dynasty is over, we, I don't know if, if Tom Brady's going to be back there or not, but I, I'm pretty sure Bill Belichick is. And you know what I know for sure? The Patriots next year, whoever they have a quarterback, whoever they have a coach, they're going to still be playing in the AFC East. That's the problem with that whole thing. And even as flawed of a team as they were this year, they still won 12 games. They still won the division. And it's, it's still going to be the same teams in the AFC East next year. It's still going to be the Dolphins who are still going to be bad. You hope the Jets are better, but uh, I'm not I'm not writing that down in stone just yet. And I think the Bills' long-term future is good. But I'm not ready to pencil them in as AFC East champions next year. And no matter how New England goes about their offseason this year, whether Brady's back or not back, or it's pretty clear whoever the quarterback is going to be next is going to need more weapons than they had this year. And even with the limited weapons they had this year, again, they won 12 games, they won the division, and it was not really that much uh, in doubt. So let's not kick dirt on the Patriots, even though it's great to have them out this year. I'm happy that we're going to have some fresh blood. I'm looking forward to what happens in the AFC. Uh, and, and just to have New England out as a, as a storyline is fantastic. But let's not get too crazy just yet in our celebration, right? Because the monster always has that one last. And the monster, to me, is still Belichick. And it still seems like he's going to be there. All right, so that's the one game from Saturday, the, the late game. And then the Bills and Texans game. I mean, you, you talk about Bills fans. Oh, my God. What a way to lose a game. Now, it's not as, it's not the worst loss I've ever seen in the playoffs. I think that still has to be, obviously, the Falcons, right? The, the Falcons blowing a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. If you were a Falcons fan who lived through that, I don't know why you would ever watch football again. I said it at the time. I'll continue to say, if I was a Falcons fan watching that Super Bowl, blowing a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl, I'd never watch again. I'd, I'd find something else to do with my life. It would not be worth it. There's no way to ever get that back. But on, if you're looking back on the game on Saturday, the Bills and Texans, and Deshaun Watson, unbelievable that play. I mean, how he's able to avoid getting sacked in that play and completing that pass, unbelievable, phenomenal. But <laughs> let's be honest, I'm going to focus on the negative. <laughs> and that would have to be how the Bills let this game get away. To be up 16 nothing on the road against a Texans team that not only seems like they play in the early window every Saturday come wildcard weekend, but seem to disappoint every Saturday in the early window of wildcard weekend. That is a that is a terrible, awful the only way it's mitigated is that you feel like the future is bright because your quarterback and a young team and a team on the rise in a division that seems like maybe it's far more winnable now than it has been in years past. But Josh Allen, I mean, that's where you have to kind of come back to, playing like he did. And you got the full Josh Allen experience, especially in the first half. I'll be honest with you, if you listen to me for a while, I'm not a huge Josh Allen fan, and I can understand why people are. 
because you got to see it in the first rocket arm, the running ability, but you also got the head scratching plays. And with young quarterbacks, you'll get that from time to, from time to time. But his head scratching plays. There's such head-scratching plays that they're mind-scratching. You, you're rubbing at your head so hard that you actually touch your brain. They are so bad. The lateral out-of-bounds, the sacks he took. I mean, they blow the lead. They're down 19-16. They're driving. They had the ball at the 25-yard line. I think it was second and 10. It might have been first and 10. Second and 10 at the 25-yard line. You're already in field goal position. And then Allen, in that fourth quarter, I mean, he just completely melted down. And that is something that did not just pop up on Saturday. That's something that you've seen from him in the past. And usually those plays with him, I think they mentioned this on the broadcast, but usually those plays with him happen early on. You know, he, he takes him a little while to get his feet wet, to get comfortable in a game. But then when he settles down, boom, he starts making plays. It was just the opposite on Saturday. But the blame does not just go to him. The blame also has to go to that Bills coaching staff between using Frank Gore when they did. I mean, Singletary is getting these hard-fought, tough yards each and every way. And when you want to talk about hindsight... The Bills having their quarterback in a game that they led, 16-0, a young quarterback, throwing the ball 43 times. That's also mind-boggling. So it's going to be a very rough season for off-season for Bills fans after watching the way that you lost that game. And that's a per you know, the weekend started with that game, and it was to me one of the, the, the things that I took away from the weekend is that each of these teams, they were in position to make a play here or there, and it could have went their way, and it didn't. And that just shows you how close that, that these teams are. And now that they take a, the winners, they take a step up in class and face off against the teams that had the buys this week, uh, whether or not they're going to be able to overcome that. one 800 espn one 800 So we're deep into the show already, already halfway through. And I haven't even mentioned the poll question. So the poll question is up on Twitter, at Gordon Damer, and it is... Wild Card Weekend had four exciting games, plenty of thrilling performances, and you can debate who had the best weekend, right? Who had the best weekend of all? Was it Deshaun Watson? Was it uh, Russell Wilson yesterday? Whoever. No, we're not going to focus on that. That's the positive. <laughs> I'm going right, right for the jugular with the negative. Who do you think had the worst weekend? I gave you four options. Probably could take more. A, Tom Brady. B, Sean Payton. C, Josh Allen, D, Carson Wentz. Those are your four options. You can vote on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. Coming up, we'll get your phone calls in. We'll get the poll question in. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. That's how we've won all year, team, right? Hey, you held them to 20 points, man. You gave us a chance at the end. But I got three words for you. You like that? You know, you could say anything, and if you have the the, the locker room, ah, it, it just sounds better. Kirk Cousins could have said, I like apples. Yeah! No matter what you say there. Shoes are fantastic. Yeah! It always just sounds better. Play it again, Brian. That's how we've won all year. Team, right? Hey, you held him to 20 points, man. You gave us a chance at the end. But I got three words for you. You like that? Yeah! It just sounds better. 
Just sounds good. You don't even have to be a Viking fan. That gets you pumped up. Hey, it's 98.7 ESPN Superbox Bonanza 2. We're giving away over $10,000 in cash and prizes, including a $3,000 grand prize. All you have to do is listen for your chance to win. All 100 boxes to February's big game will be given away during the DPH or Canty Rothenberg Show, 10 to 1, and the Michael K Show from 3 to 7 all this month. Plus, we'll have 10 super boxes with even more great prizes, and it's all brought to you by PC Richard & Son. Get ready for the big game with a new TV from PC Richardson and your home for football, 98.7 ESPN. And I guess I should also say, I don't know if people saw this tweet yesterday, but Michael Kay tweeted out yesterday that 3 o'clock today, they're going to have a major star. Now, I didn't give it away. And we ahead of time, we get a sheet, right? I get a sheet emailed to me every day about, you know, the guest list. And this major star, not on the guest list. So that's how top secret it is. That they're not going to let the five o'clock guy blab about it, but I don't know who it's going to be. A major star. I the first thing I thought of was like, what comedian, maybe actor comedian, could be like touring right now? But I went and looked. It's not really anybody. I think Jerry Seinfeld is touring right now. That would be a major star, right? But I don't know. I I I I would just be guessing. I was kind of hoping it was going to be the boar. The boar that uh, that uh, Yoannis sidetracked. But I don't know that, that that boar is still alive. I'd have to assume if I were Yoannis and I have my career threatened by a boar because of trying to get out of the way of it, even though I'm incapacitated, I'm telling somebody on my ranch, you find that boar and we are having that boar for dinner. But so I don't know. We'll have to find out at 3 o'clock today who the major star is the case having on. We're not having anybody. We're having you. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Before we go to the phones, you know what? I sat back, and I guess this kind of pops up in my head every year around this time when you get to the playoffs. When you watch playoff football, you know what you notice to me? Talent. You need to have talent. Every team has talent if you get to this stage. And there's some teams in the NFL that don't have nearly enough talent to win. But you also see how important coaching is, how important a style of play is, and everything that is on the coaching side of it. Because each of these games, you can see players that weren't good enough someplace else. But yet when they're on the teams that are playing wild card weekend and in the future, they're just fine. Like they're not, they don't go from scrubs to stars. But they're not so unacceptable that the team has to get rid of them. Like the first guy I saw that jumped out to me with this point was Ted Ginn Jr. Ted Ginn Jr. was drafted by the Dolphins, you know, right? They had to get him out. They had to trade him. Meanwhile, that's like 10 years ago. The guy's still catching passes, still fast as hell, and it's still just fine in New Orleans. Miami couldn't play New Orleans, who's in the playoffs every year. He's fine. DJ Fluker is another example, right? Giants had to get this guy. I mean, he's terrible. The offensive line goes to Seattle. Not that I'm telling you he's a superstar, but you know what? They're enough. They're able to get enough out of that guy. And there's plenty of examples of that. Ryan Tannehill, another example. EI Apple, another example. I mean, you watch these games and there'll be guys that you say, you know what? That guy couldn't play for, if you're a fan of a bad team, couldn't play for my team, but all of a sudden he goes to this environment and, and somehow his skills while maybe limited in some ways, they're able to take advantage of what he is able to do. So Taysom Hill, right? He had the big performance for the Saints, or I guess one of the big performances for the Saints. 
And I saw people tweeting, well, you know what? You have to find a guy like that in, in the draft if you're the Jets or another team. Does anybody actually believe that if Taysom Hill was on one of the bad, say the Jets or the Giants or the Dolphins or, or, or a team that struggled, that they would be able to get the most out of that guy? No, of course not. Of course not. And there's other examples of it as well. So I, I just uh, that's something that jumps out to me every time this year, and I figured I'd bring it up. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Let's go back to the phones. Let's see here. Uh, Scott is in Wontaw. Scott, what's going on, my man? Hey, good morning, Gordon. How you doing? I'm good, man. What's up? Definitely a good weekend of football. Um, I just found that it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword when I'm bringing up. The Vrabel move on Belichick with a couple of minutes, I guess just over five minutes to go, right. where he just kept stalling. Yep, yep. Took about a minute I and a half off the I, clock. Yeah, I, I didn't like it for the Titans because they played such a good game, and I feel like they could have beat them without doing that. But I kind of loved it to see Belichick <laughs> freaking right. out. He wasn't such a big fan. He was a huge fan of it when he did it to the Jets. I mean, he couldn't even he couldn't even contain his glee when he was smiling on the sidelines when he did it to the Jets. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it such poetic justice. Is you know, over the years we've seen him come up with so many things. I remember when I was first watching him, they they drew the team one of the teams. I guess it had to be at Oakland into the, like the the baseball dirt. Because he knew that the kicker would miss, and you know, in some ways he's very strategic, but in that, you know, he exploits rules that definitely they shouldn't have. And uh, right, I mean, it was I, just I, kind of ironic. For yeah, him no, to, it was a taste it, of it. You know, I think that that rule should obviously be changed. You should not be able to benefit that way from it. But good for for Mike Vrabel, you know, taking the you know taking advantage of. It's not breaking the rules. It's bending them and, and, and exploiting every single angle that you can. So, uh, so good for him. And the fact that uh, Bill Belichick got it, uh, you know, stuck down his throat for a change. It's not the, not so bad. I, I, I like it. And you know what? I had to, I have to be honest. When he did it to the Jets, I thought it was funny just seeing his reaction. Like the fact he, he was even, he was breaking character on the sidelines. I thought it was, it was kind of funny at the time then as well. Just how, uh, evil and manipulative the, Bel- the great Belichick is. But um, to see it to happen to him, no, it's not so bad. Yeah, you you kind of liked it. Let's go out to D in Queens. D, what's going on? D. Josh Allen getting drafted. Yeah, hello? Yeah, go ahead, man. I said Josh Allen getting drafted over Lamar Jackson with a similar, you know, skill set. It's kind of interesting. And one's a Heisman Trophy winner, but one was talked about being a good leader. It's kind of interesting. I'm just saying. <laughs> they're both playing the way they did in college. Yep. No, look, I mean, people got again, it. Again, kind of, the, the Lamar Jackson point to me is that Lamar Jackson got into a better situation. Now, he's a better player. But, again, if Lamar Jackson – I'll bring this up because it's my team. There was a lot of talk that the Dolphins wanted to draft Lamar Jackson. The owner wanted them to take Lamar Jackson. And they didn't. I think they took. Uh, did they t- was that the year they took Minka Fitzpatrick? I think it was. Does any, do you believe that that Lamar Jackson would have been Lamar Jackson if he had went to that bad situation? So yeah, it's it's unfair that that Lamar Jackson got got unfairly uh, evaluated for lack of skills that he clearly has because he's going to be the MVP. But you know what? At the end of the day, who's laughing? La- like the best revenge is living well. And Lamar Jackson is living pretty well. 
He's doing okay. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. To show you how jam-packed we are, I have not even mentioned really uh, my uh, vote on the poll question today. And it is uh, not who won the weekend because there were plenty of great performances, but who lost the weekend? Who do you think had the worst performance from Wild Card Weekend? I gave you four options. Tom Brady, Sean Payton, Josh Allen, or Carson Wentz. Well, let's, A, take the one off that I don't think belongs at all. I would have probably voted Carson Wentz if the Eagles had won. If the Eagles had won and did so without Carson Wentz, who got the concussion, I mean, he had to be sitting there thinking to himself, not out loud, right, because that would be a sign of a bad leader. But inside, he had to be thinking, oh, my God, it's happening again. Oh, no. He would never have heard the end of it. If Josh McCown, at 40 years old, had led the Eagles to a win over the Seahawks. Oh, my God, that poor guy. He would never have heard the end of it. But they didn't win. So I'm not going to say it's Carson Wentz. I'm not going to say it's Josh Allen, although it was bad. And if you were looking, if there was some sort of metric for, like, the worst parts of a weekend, you would have to say Josh Allen was there, right? Like, he had plays that by far were worse than, I think, just about anybody else. But he also had some really good plays, and he was one of the reasons why they were in position early on to be leading the game. And he is a young quarterback experiencing things, you know, and you have to expect some growing pains. Now, I don't know. The problem with that is is that the the mind-boggling plays were so mind-boggling, and he's got a repu- he's always kind of had a reputation for this. So whether or not he can clean those up enough, it's not just like a, a regular quarterback who's young who kind of has to go through the tough times because that's been his reputation even coming into the NFL. So, but I won't say it's Josh Allen because I think also some blame has to go to the coaching staff, was mentioned. So then it becomes Tom Brady or Sean Payton. Well, I can't vote Tom Brady, even though – he and the offense were the reason they lost that game because, look, at some point it's going to happen to everybody. To me, the person who had the worst weekend by far was Sean Payton. His team was completely outplayed. And look, in terms of talent, that should not have been the case. The Vikings are a very talented team. You had some questions about Mike Zimmer maybe coming in. You certainly had questions about Kirk Cousins given his resume in the past. But those teams, in terms of overall talent, feel pretty close. And that game, until the fourth quarter, the, the Saints weren't able to do anything. For a good stretch of that game, it was a 3 nothing game. But with the way that it had played out, really, they had the one-trick play by Taysom Hill that, that got him down there. It didn't really feel like the Saints were in that game. Now, the fourth quarter, they start making some plays. Good for them. But even in that fourth quarter, Sean Payton's team and, and Sean Payton's decisions in terms of handling the clock I mean, completely lost. And you combine this with the fact of last year, the way he handled the clock at the end of that game, screwed it up then too. To me, by far, the home team that was the biggest favorite coming into the weekend, not performing at all up to expectations, and blowing another opportunity. Because you know who probably had the best weekend of all, I think, might have been the 49ers. Because I think their their greatest competition, or what should be, at least looking at the teams involved, of getting to a Super Bowl this year might have very well been the Saints. And now they're gone on wild card weekend. So great, great weekend for them. Terrible weekend for Sean Payton and a completely blown opportunity, a game that they should have been able to win, even getting the breaks that they got in the fourth quarter to be in a game that they really shouldn't have been in. 
to choke it away the way they did to me, it's absolutely Sean Payton. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN. Let's squeeze some phone calls in because we've got a couple of minutes here. Sal in Aberdeen. Sal, what's going on, my man? Hey, great weekend of football. Absolutely. My son was up 180 bucks, so all is good there. Good for let's him. Start an, let's start an ugly rumor. All right. Belichick and Brady go to Dallas. They don't want. They don't want to sign Prescott. <laughs> think, and that'll be a perfect fit for them. They got the O line. They got Zeke. They right. got receivers. Right. It's a ready-made team to go to the Super Bowl. Why, why does Why does Belichick want to leave? I, I, I don't think Belichick wants. Belichick is cold and calculated. He doesn't. I, he doesn't want to be with Brady anymore. Like, why would they both go to some place with each other? I, I don't know. I, I right. just thought that one more hurrah for them, you know, and. Uh, you know, well, look, where, where Brady is going to go, if he goes anywhere, is going to be interesting to see. I'm not, I'm not convinced that he's going anywhere because at the end of the day, that's not going to be a coach decision. That's going to be an ownership decision. Now, maybe the Giant fans will take that as a sign. You know what? Maybe Belichick wants out. He's going to come and rescue us. He's going to be the coach of the Giants. When Giant fans bring up Belichick coming back here and coaching the Giants, they sound like Nick fans when they talk about the next superstar that's going to come and and rescue them. It's going to be Giannis. Giannis is going to go. He once came to New York and had a slice of pizza, and he liked it. So he's going to come and play in the Knicks. He's going to rescue Eli's in Queens. Eli. Yeah, how's it going, man? Uh, listen, I think the worst, the, the, the person who had worse this weekend was Philly fans and their GM, man. This guy, to get rid of uh, Nick Foles, oh, come uh, was on. like one of the biggest mistakes. They should have just kept him as a backup quarterback, right. paid him whatever they wanted. Right. So pay him whatever he wanted. You, you, they couldn't. They can't afford to do that. Uh, right. and, the, and the Patriots run defense because they pride themselves on uh, being so good this whole season. And they couldn't stop Derrick Henry from their lives. Uh, look, and he couldn't. He he was amazing. But even as amazing as he was, they scored fourteen points. It wasn't like they went in there and scored every opportunity that they had. Now. Derrick Henry, he did control the game. He had 200 yards, all-purpose yards. He was fantastic. But if you had told the Patriots before the game, Derrick Henry's going to have this amazing game, and they're going to have 14 points out of it, I think you would have signed for that. The problem with them was the offense. That was the problem for the Patriots. They couldn't score enough points. They didn't get that touchdown before halftime, and they didn't do anything in the second half. That's where it came down to. Mitch and Easy Windsor. Mitch. Good morning, uh, Gordon. How you doing? I'm good, man. What's up? Okay, uh, Josh Gordon. Uh, Josh Gordon. I'm sorry, Josh Allen. Yeah. Uh, you gotta like his game. I think he's like the second best quarterback from that draft. Um, kind of reminds me of Steve DeBerg playing a little uh, with that backward pass. He, to me, it reminded me of like a backwards uh, basketball play. Yeah, I mean, that was so fun. Josh Allen to me is a guy, and look, maybe he can clean up these these mind-boggling plays that he makes at times. The lateral, I mean, taking those two sacks, I mean, oh my god, that was awful. Uh, maybe he can, maybe he will, and th- th- I'm not saying that if I were the Bills, I'd give up on him or anything like that. But those plays are so bad. I feel like he's going to be one of those guys who's always going to have those kind of plays. And if you have a guy who's, whose highs are super high and lows are super low, I don't know if you can ever end up winning with them. I'd rather have somebody who might not have the peaks at him but doesn't have the valleys either. And he's one of those guys that he gets the reputation. He's just good enough to get you fired. Because those plays on, on Saturday night, oh, my God. Woof, yikes. 
and a terrible way for the Bills to lose a game when they haven't won a playoff game in forever. Uh, we're done. That's going to be it for us today. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.